0: Welcome to Post-Pandemic, I'm Courtney Carthy. Each episode we look at a specific part of society, culture or the world and ask a guest to imagine what that might be like after it's all said and done. This episode, Community Australian Rules Football, also known here in Australia as footy. Andy Belairs is a sports journalist, producer, and one part of the Could Have Been Champions, a long running footy show on ABC Radio. From a decade working on the Could Have Beans, he's been privy to insights about how football works from the grassroots clubs in the suburbs and towns around the country to the elite national level. If a regional Australian town has a footy club, it's likely there's also a netball club attached to so they're often mentioned as football netball clubs and these clubs serve as the entertainment recreation volunteering and community hubs around the country andy thanks for being on post pandemic great to be here court Uh, We're speaking to to each other in Melbourne, which is nice, um, home of uh, Australian rules football. Also, not that far, either of us, from the MCG, which has, I suppose, been left empty by the cancellation of the season. And while that's the premier top-level competition in the Australian game, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of leagues around the country that have also been, oh, had a stop, put on them, where... You know, people on the weekend can't participate like any other sport around the world. Uh, people look forward to basically having a bit of a, a kick on the weekend and for Australian towns uh, outside of the major cities and even some of the suburbs, it's a big focus. Can you just explain, I'm, I'm not hugely into football as you know, um, it's probably the the Big difference between you and me, uh, after years of knowing each other. But can you explain why community Australian football is so, so significant here? Well,
1: it is probably the premier, um, community builder in, particularly in small communities and, and even more particularly in isolated communities. You know, you got, you got small towns that, uh, really revolve around the, and it's not just Australian football. I know that's my topic, but it's football netball in most, um, most communities, football netball clubs are the hub for, um, younger people. Um, they're the hub for volunteerism. They're the hub for people just coming together, uh, for one goal in a community. You know, communities these days are more and more fractured as, um, you know, the focuses move towards bigger city hubs. But when people live in a small town or, or a small, um, rural community, often, the um, comradeship or the, the companionship that they receive from their football club for training or uh, on game day uh, is really the only time that they get that companionship through the week. So, um, yeah, football, netball clubs are incredibly important to local communities. They're really important in suburban um, uh, suburbs of, of our centres as well. You know, that just that sort of that local um, community builder to, as I said, to a purpose that everyone's involved in and everyone is working towards, you know, winning games of footy and, and having fun, um,
0: yeah, they are more important than, than you might even think. And just a little bit of perspective. for Some of the we'll – take the, the northern leagues from Victoria, the state where we're in, which is at the bottom of Australia. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me that – he drove from one side of the league to the other and it was possibly, so this is maybe, well, like eight to 15 teams maybe that play against each other on a weekly basis during winter and the footprint of the league might have been like 300 kilometres wide, I think, something like that. I mean, up towards Benella, which is near, oh, Andy, you're sort of from closer that way, but these these football leagues are uh very large footprint, very small towns of, you know, a couple of hundred, couple of thousand people. It's not like there's, you know, it's not China where there's, you know, a million people every 50 kilometres or so. Yeah, I mean,
1: the, the Benella League and um, <clears throat> the Benella League where you know, Golden Valley Football League, um, yes, the distances are, are significant, but compared with some of the others, um, particularly up, Around that very far northwestern corner of Victoria. Um, I was just looking it up. I think the longest distance to travel is in the Golden Rivers League, which is a small league. Um, but that is so spread that the biggest distance, I think, is between a town called Hay in southern New South Wales and a town called Ultima, um, which is just south of Swan Hill. And that's two and a half hours one way just to play a game of footy. So, you know, that's a, that's a five hour round trip to play football or netball and they do it willingly because that's what they want to do you know that's that's part of their weekend that and they probably only do it once if not twice a year they make a trip of it you know that's probably they all get on a bus and go together and stop at a pub on the way home and you know that i think it all becomes it what it becomes more than what they do on the field, it becomes a way to to develop and and build their community of the the club, that football netball club, um, and that's what they're lacking at the moment. You know, I, I think you'd probably find that a lot of, particularly a lot of the players and and the le- the less elite players, you know, the local players who just love get going out for a kick, they're probably missing the community more than they're missing running around, you know, for four quarters on a Saturday afternoon,
0: and can you just give a, a an overview of these sort of like fly in fly out players that will be basically paid to play on the weekend so that their you know local team can can win but these players are probably coming from you know somewhere else like a city like Geelong or, or a city like Melbourne uh, in Victoria
1: yeah i think there's been a significant push to try and limit that over the last few years. Um, there, there was a, a bit of a problem. I mean, I say a bit of a problem. It was a pretty bad problem. Um, whereby clubs were spending big. They were paying players. They were recruiting players from, yeah, the sort of, you know, the bigger, um, bigger local leagues in Melbourne and Geelong or Ballarat. Uh, they were recruiting four or five players, paying them, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars a game, uh, to bring in to win that. Elusive premiership, and you know they were relying on sponsorship money to do it. They're relying on um, volunteers, you know, who work for nothing, and seeing these players, you know, just drive in, play a game, drive out without spending any money behind the bar on a Saturday night um, breeds a bit of resentment. And also, when the sponsorship money, when that, that local sponsor decides they don't want to sponsor the club anymore you know, where are they? They haven't developed any young players. Often teams who did that to win that premiership, even if they won a premiership, uh, fell away and and found it very difficult to build up. So in recent years, the rule's been brought in uh, like a points-based rule. And so each club has a certain number of points per game, or every team has. And those points are made up by where they've recruited their players from. If they've got local players, they don't um, accrue any points, but if they've brought a high-profile player from the AFL, you know, someone who has retired or was delisted from an AFL team, they've brought them in, they accrue five points. So you can only have so many highly paid players in every country team. And, and it has evened up competitions, um, but I think this is going to go even further because clubs are going to find that they don't have the money. Sponsors aren't going to be able to to give the sort of money to local clubs that they have in the past. At least for the next couple of years, I think you're going to find teams are really evened out and, you know, the the haves and have-nots as as it's been described before, you know, the teams with money versus the teams with no money, they're going to come closer together and hopefully that means that competitions become more even.
0: Which could be part of the first question on post-pandemic what will be different about community Australian football? after the pandemic is over. I should say that we're we're coming up to winter uh, right now when we're recording this, which is prime time for uh, playing AFL through till maybe September, which is the first month of spring in the Southern Hemisphere. So, Andy, what do you think will be different about community Australian football after the pandemic? Court, I actually think – I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of – uh,
1: visible difference I think you're going to still probably you know when it's over you're going to be able to rock up to any recreation reserve in any town anywhere in Victoria or South Australia Western Australia you know wherever they play footy and I mean I know it's not my topic of expertise but this is the same for rugby league clubs for soccer clubs for anything you know you'll be able to turn up you'll see two teams out in the middle you'll see cars around the boundary line you won't notice a whole lot of difference I think in the in the operation of the clubs the difference is going to be the money and yes clubs you need money to operate you know they have to pay for the hire of the ground from the councils and they've got to pay for strapping tape and they've got to pay for you know the water bills and all that sort of stuff but they also as i said before they pay for players and that's the difference is that sponsorship dollars particularly from local organizations local companies um, they're gonna it's not going to be there as much as it is has been in the past, so that means that they will have to be far more choosy about who they pay how much they pay them so you're going to find I think you know recruiting kids from junior competitions you know under sixteens come up into the reserves or into the seniors earlier than they might have in the past, so you'll find that over time, particularly over the next two or three years, I think it's going to be a real benefit to For local clubs to have homegrown teams Um, because as you know like the AFL is one thing they're struggling they've got you know 600 million dollars in bailout loans from you know uh, uh, against the the capital of uh, Dockland Stadium but they need the money because without the money they don't exist whereas country leagues local leagues rely on the hard work of the volunteers and that hard work isn't going to disappear. It's probably going to build because they haven't been able to do it for the, you know, two or three months. They're going to be super passionate, super ready to get in there and, you know, be a part of it all again. So I think in the short term, maybe it'll be a good thing. In the longer term, I think it'll be a good thing too because, you know, you will find, hopefully, that the money will mean that teams can have that local flavour to them more than they have at least in the last decade or so.
0: Mm. And then maybe over time, those juniors that are playing because the um, paid players aren't there, you know, they're getting better because it's more competitive, which increases the standard. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's the flow and effects are going to be particularly bad. I mean, aren't these, a lot of these smaller clubs, um, you know, how much more volunteering can you put into them? Because, there's, it's the whole community that rallies around it. It's you know everybody working the bar, making lunch, you know, doing the cleaning, all of the other you know laundry, all that sort of thing. Is you know, do you think that would become a strain? I mean, each club is going to be different, of course, but you've you've been out and done live broadcasts from from a lot of these and witnessed firsthand all the people that are hanging around, ready to um, ready to do something. I think you find successful clubs,
1: like a, a successful country football club isn't necessarily the one that has the most money. It's the one whose president, secretary and committee are the most passionate and savvy and work hardest because, you know, you go to a country football club and the president's on the gate and the secretary's, you know, in the office organising you know, volunteers for the canteen and, you know, there you can see the passion in a good club and it's all volunteerism you know they don't get paid for what they do um and so i think on that side of things that's not going to change if if clubs struggle if they you know i mean there has always been a natural attrition in country football based on movements of um you know population movements you know moving away from small towns into centres and then from centres into big cities and things like that, you know. Clubs have been folding, merging for 150 years since football's been around. So if clubs do find that they can't get players, if clubs find that they can't get sponsorship and they can't get volunteers to come back and they fold while it's sad for those communities. Um, I don't think it's, it's specific to the pandemic. I think it probably suggests that there was going to be an attrition there at some stage and it's probably just sped it up by a year, couple of years, something. A lot of clubs are just hanging on um, without that sort of natural player retention and and being able to attract players to their club naturally rather than having to pay for them so you know I don't have a problem with with clubs you know struggling in
0: that way question two what do you think will become obsolete in community Australian football high fives
1: I mean I don't know I think I think because when, when you start with not much and you are successful because of the the you know the hard work of of the people who do something for nothing i don't think you're going to if you start with not much you're not losing a whole lot um to to still be successful i think i think you're probably going to lose some of that high end money for players um, which is a good thing i think you're probably going to lose some of the excess you know maybe you're going to lose a bit of the um you know, uh, bags of cash under the table because it's just not going to be there. You might lose. Hold on, can you just explain the bags of cash? Oh, sure. Well, bags of cash are you know. I mean, Eddie's being paid, but it's being paid on the on the black economy, isn't it? It's it's you know, we don't want to put this through the books, but here's five hundred bucks because you played really well and you you helped us win the game, or you know, here's. Um, come over to my car because I've got you know a couple of new iPods or iPhones, and uh, maybe you can do something with them. You know that, that sort of thing happens. Um, it's a way of uh, enticing players. It's a way of sort of retaining players and attracting them. Um, I, I think I think some of that is probably going to to disappear. Um, but in terms of in terms of the the game of Australian football and In in local areas and football netball clubs in general they they do run off this you know the skin of their teeth or the smell of an oily rag or whatever you want to say it in the first place Um, I hope that things like grants from the AFL or grants from state governments don't dry up because you know clubs rely on those but I don't think a whole lot's going to become obsolete because you still need to put your jumper on, put your shorts on, pull up your socks, and run out on the ground and, and kick a footy, um, and that's basically what country footy is.
0: On to question three, and you know, working in um, Australian football, Australian football media, what do you think will be different in your daily life? You know, coming into contact with um, with the sport and other people that that you chat to, you know, so many hours a week about uh, about the game.
1: I'm I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for it to come back. I think I think people appreciate what they have so much more when it's not there. And so when they come back, there'll be a real passion and a zeal for getting involved, you know, promoting what they have, you know, telling stories. That's what we do and more specifically that's what I do in a in a um you know, a professional or a week-to-week basis. I, I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories of, you know, why people love what they do in in playing the game and also administering the game and, and supporting, you know, their local clubs. I'm really looking forward to that sort of positivity that comes from, you know, being deprived of it. Um, so I can't wait for it to come back and I'm really excited to see, you know, people you know, really pushing themselves forward and saying, yes, this is what I love, this is why I'm I do what I do, this is why I'm involved, and I can't wait to see, you know, that come to fruition.
0: And it sort of goes into the the next question. Question four, what positives do you see coming from the global pandemic um, that might result in community Australian football possibly improving? Um the the storytelling um, aspect of that and I suppose it's a good opportunity to get for people that manage the game to get the players fans you know people involved to really sort of like double down on football because it's it's there and it's coming back after this you know virus has taken its course
1: I think that yeah I think that that's the positive is is that sort of you know you you don't know what you love until it's not there and or how much you love it, and I think this will be. Yeah, I I feel like, and and maybe I'm rose-colored glasses in it here, but I feel like it's probably going to attract a new generation of volunteers and a new generation of of positive, you know, um, working, you know, sort of forward-thinking people to come into clubs and and shake things up slightly. You know, a lot of clubs rely on the same people who work there off just to get a game played, you know all the little things that make up you know getting players on the field on a Saturday, even in a small country town. People work a lot of a lot of hours to get that done. Um, and often that can be that that has in the past been a been a roadblock for some people to say, oh, I don't think I can commit myself to that. And that probably means that new ideas aren't being heard because the same people working hard having the same ideas year after year. So I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that, you know, by not having their clubs and having that community for a couple of months, people are younger people or not necessarily younger people, but people with different from different backgrounds with different ideas are going to say, hang on, this is what I love. I need to work to make it better. And they come in and you find that, over the next two, three years, there are more people who are willing to give their time and volunteer for their clubs and, and be a part of, you know, making their community a better place. Mm.
0: At question five, and maybe something that lends itself to a um, uh, more uh, personal angle. How do you think you'll describe the pandemic to somebody in the future that didn't experience it? So maybe you're... Sitting next to somebody twenty years down the track, who's uh, about to turn nineteen, and uh, they're Andrew. What was it like? It, it's it is an interesting
1: one, and and we, you know, it's difficult to it's difficult to put ourselves in that position now because we haven't really we've felt the the sort of the after effects or or, or the 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 um, effects of. What's been done to control it? But I don't know anyone who's had the virus. I I don't know anyone who's been hospitalised. I don't know anyone who knows anyone who who has been affected personally, physically affected by it. Um, so it's an it's a weird one because we, if you if you're sitting at home for a couple of hours, you kind of forget that it's happened, and then you go out in the street and you see a few people driving past. You're like, oh yeah, this is normal life, but. I think the way I'd describe it is that, you know, something – there was was a a medical emergency around the world that we needed to stop as quickly as we possibly could and we did everything that we possibly could to do it. And if that meant sitting at home for a couple of months, um, washing your hands a hundred times a day, uh, it it was – it was as as successfully done as it possibly could. I mean, I, I yeah, it's a difficult one because I'm just I'm so removed from the the emergency itself. It's um, you know, it, it's it all seems important, but it, it's also a bit abstract.
0: Yeah, one, one sort of tangible uh, or one image that I don't think I'll ever forget is um, the two teams playing at the MCG to an empty stadium and the MCG seats, was it 99,983 or something like that? 100,021. 100,021, there you go. Um, And then they went off for half time, which is I think about half an hour, Uh, midway through the league as said after this game (laughs) – Football's cancelled, but two teams playing to an empty stadium of a hundred thousand people is um is a sight, you know, that's uh well, I don't think it's really ever been seen before, um, in Australian rules football or the AFL league anyway. Um that's watching it live was um was something else.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, and, and those sort of things are very strange. And and when you see you know that you see the photos of, you know, airports completely empty or, you know, highways just deserted or things like that, you know, it's all it's all pretty dystopian and, and weird. Um and you're right, football on a an empty stadium as big as the MCG did look weird. I mean I I don't wanna I don't wanna poo poo it, but like I worked at the MCG and so on a Tuesday at eleven in the morning it kind of looks like it did on that game. And, you know, I saw that every day while I worked there. So it didn't look that different to me. Um, I, I think there was a, it was a mistake to play that first round of football. Uh, but I think they learned their lesson pretty quickly because of that, those visuals. You know, it's such a, it's such a visual game and the crowd plays into that so heavily that, yeah, it's not, it, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's sort of like, what we had to go through i think i think we'll find as the time goes on given that we weren't personally affected by it in a, in a physical sense you know people have lost jobs and all that sort of stuff and you know but but we've been supported through that um i think i think it'll be a case of you know a bit like the way they you know if you talk to your grandparents about the war my my grandmother was a teenager in the war and she Used to talk about it in a very positive way. Oh, yeah. Well, we used to have to bunker down and do this and do that. And it's like, well, it's kind of, you know, a bit how we'll feel because we're not, per- I'm not personally affected.
0: Mm, mm. And Australia's seen a relatively low amount of infections. Um, would have been much lower if it wasn't for the Ruby Princess, a cruise ship that came back.
1: Yeah, but they had to go somewhere.
0: They did. They, they need did. to get home. They did. Uh, and for the for the timeliness of this episode, I won't go into the details of what's happening now. But there is a criminal investigation that's begun today. I think. Well, I think ten percent of the cases in Australia uh, originated on on a single cruise ship. But then you could say that uh, a large percentage of cases originated from overseas in Australia. That's you know all up for however one however you want to splice the numbers. And when you you know,
1: I find myself looking at social media feeds a fair bit during the day and and when you see the alternate reality you know you see what's happening in the in the United States and when just average people are being you know their tweets are being liked and you see them in your feed it's like oh you know my father died today of complications or you know a young um fit broadway actor had his leg amputated a couple of days ago. He's, you know, about my age or a couple of years older. And it's like, well, there but for the grace of God go I, you know. I mean, lucky we live in Australia. Lucky we are um, as isolated as we are. And, and, you know, whether you are on one side of politics or the other, it is at least the operation is being run by sane people.
0: (laughs) That that a veiled swipe at the U.S.,
1: well, it is, but it's the case, you know. You've got, you've got advice not being at least in Australia. The uh, the medical advice, the, the expert advice, is being listened to, you know, and that's why we only have, you know, I mean, we would prefer not to have any deaths, but what we have under under fifty, isn't it, in Australia? Whereas there's over ten thousand in the United States. It's you know. It's, well, let's um,
0: let's not get into that. That's a whole other thing. That um, yeah, I know. It's being but, prosecuted. You know, very publicly at nearly all media outlets. Um, Fair enough. But Footy. Footy, exactly. Um, question six. If you were to write a book, a film or TV series about the global pandemic in an Australian football context, what would you call it? Write
1: a book, a film or a TV series. I'd probably call it, you know what, I would base it, I'd base a television series or a film on – as people do these days, you know, you base a a major motion picture on a short social media film or a video game or, a you know, iPhone app or something like that. There was a fantastic video that um, a couple of guys from um, central Victoria around a football team called the Rokewood Corandap Grasshoppers and their coach and a player put together a farm fit video and it was you know tongue in cheek and it was pretty roughly put together but it was very funny and it got lots of views on on Facebook where you know the, the it was the difference between being farm fit and being gym fit and uh the farm fit guy was skinny and the gym fit guy was big and fit with lots of muscles and the farm fit guy could lift a whole lot more than the gym fit guy so i think i'd make a comedy uh, based on a farm about a a footballer who is a farmer and his mate, who is, you know, a social media influencer and works at the gym. And um, yeah, I'd make it a buddy comedy around football and about how the farm fit guy is always getting the gym fit guy out of scrapes.
0: What do you call it? Farm fit. Okay, all right. <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. Uh, question seven. What do you think we should be paying attention to right now that will affect uh, life uh, football life Australian football life after the pandemic?
1: I think we should be noticing what's not being said by the AFL. I think the AFL, as much as it's you know the Australian Football League, it is the top league the AFL administers all football um, around. Australia, well, most of football, particularly in Victoria, it it administers and and has oversight over all country leagues, women's leagues, you know, suburban, junior. I think it's pretty similar in South Australia, although the SANFL has, and in Western Australia, WAFL, the Western Australian Football Commission, have more oversight. Um, I think we should be listening for what's not being said, where every time the AFL talks, they talk, and, and their CEO, Gillian McLaughlin, they talk about the main league. I think you'll find very few um, sound grabs relating to what actually happens to the local leagues of football. Uh, I think people are being left in the dark around that a little bit, and um, I think you will find that um, as time goes on, there'll be a bit more arcing up by you know those people who are who are affected by the you know shutdown of of local leagues i think we should be paying attention to the fact that not enough is being said and not enough information is being given to those participation footballers as opposed to the elite footballers
0: good point yeah very much about the uh the big league i suppose that's where the money's coming from and that's probably where they'll
1: that's where the money's being spent though too you know that that's what it's all about it's all about these you know highly paid footballers who get drafted straight out of school and then, you know, go and crash into four cars in in, um, Middle Park and, oh, no, they're being affected, you know, just the effects of um, of the isolation is getting to them, whereas you've got a whole community, a whole sort of subsection of, of, of our community who are just waiting to get back to their clubs and they're not being thought about or at least it's not being talked about.
0: Well, wait and see. Um, links to everything that we've talked about that is, is available online will be included in the show notes, including, uh, what could be the precursor to Andy's first feature film, Farm Fit.
1: Farm Fit. Farm
0: Fit. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Geez, that would have to be, there'd be a lot of salt, salt of the earth, sort of, you know, um, might Australian. even have Francis
1: Greenslade
0: in it. God, jeez. All right. Well, I'm. I can't say I'm looking forward to it, but I would like to see you do it, um, Andy. Thanks so much for being on post-pandemic, and we will be. Well, I think most of Australia will be paying attention to what happens with Australian football, and probably looking forward to getting back to the clubhouse and uh, telling. Well. What are the stories? They're going to be pretty bleak stories. Everybody sitting around talking about what they did during the pandemic, right?
1: Uh, tall stories. Tall I think stories. people will start making things up. Yeah, but maybe it's just maybe people aren't going to look backwards. You know, that's that's going to be part of the the response. It's just like, what have we got to look forward to? There's no point thinking about what's happened. Um, and also in country areas, you know. Farmers are uh, having a really good year, there's, particularly in Victoria, there's been a rain at the right times, they're currently they're, um, sowing their crops, you know, they're busy and um, so life, the only thing that's different about their lives is probably the fact that they can't go to training on a Tuesday and Thursday night and they can't go to the game on a, su- on a Saturday, you know, there's not, not a whole lot different in those people's lives
0: thanks so much for your time and we can find you on twitter as well and on instagram links in the show notes andy thanks again thanks court post pandemic is hosted by me courtney carthy production is by neely media cover artwork by studio baker and our theme music was created by alex shulgan